Hello and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saade. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Before we move into today's show, I just want to take a moment and say George Floyd, and I want us to take a minute in silence and just reflect on the work that we have to do and the work that must be done to ensure that men like Mr. Floyd are not murdered by Minneapolis police or other authoritarian figures um, in the future. Thank you for that. We're going to start out today's episode with a um, series of testimonials actually gathered by a reporter that I work with at the news organization that I am executive director of. Rico Morales uh, was out. He worked actually worked at the grocery store that had called the police on uh, Mr. Floyd. Um, and there's been much work done around that relationship since. But um, Rico gathered testimonials from um, in solidarity and from people who were at the memorial and at the protests on the Tuesday following Mr. Floyd's murder. Um, we're going to share that segment next. And then I'm going to talk with uh, members of the Minneapolis uh, School Board about the vote to cancel the contract with the Minneapolis Police Department last night. Um, or, excuse me, um, it would have been... June 2nd, um, this is a pre-recorded episode, but the vote to cancel that program on June 2nd. And then from there, we're gonna talk about some of the other organizing that's happening in the Twin Cities and ways in which you can key into some of that work. We definitely wanna make sure that all of us are taking action and working on that anti-racism work. For our white listeners, we're gonna talk a little bit about how to um, talk to your children about um, anti-racism work. And then as an Arab American woman, I feel that I really need to speak for a few minutes about what the Arab American community's responsibility needs to be and how as Arab Americans we can do better, more effective anti-racism work. Um, and so we'll talk about that as well today. We're going to start with the segment from Rico, and I'm just so grateful that all of you are listening right now. This audio represents true witness testimony on site from people at the protest and rally and from supporters and organizers for the remembrance of the life of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter, from people in the community, from the response, from the feelings. This includes the feelings the thoughts, the anxieties, the paranoias, the fears of people from the 
black and brown indigenous people of color communities and the struggles we face every single day. I am Rico Morales. I am a Mexican-American, and I face this struggle every day as well. To go west uh, to 38, as I got to the corner of 30, 38th in Chicago, I seen the struggle between the police officer and a black man. They're trying to get him out of his vehicle. So they finally got him out of his vehicle. As they got him out, they came across the street to the bus stop right here, where they got him into the car at, but he kept telling the officers that I'm class focused. I'm class focused. So they scuffled with him to get him into the driver's side back door, but as they got him in, he was started kicking to try to get back out the car, so when they got him in, a couple officers went on the passenger side, drew, opened the door to get him in, but he fought his way back out the car, and as he got back out the car, he fell onto the ground, and like three officers, was holding him down, and the one officer came up and put his knee on his neck, and he kept telling the officer that I can't breathe, I can't breathe. This is all something you witnessed. Yes. So when did they put the cuffs on? The cuffs was already on. They put the cuff on him across the street there. But when he kept telling me that I can't breathe, and I told the officer the one I had to put him neck, I said, I, heard you, I said I lost somebody, a friend of mine, yes, because he had his foot on, he couldn't breathe. And I said, I understand the man being class phobic because I am class phobic. I just had to do an MRI, go through one of them tubs, and they had to give me a volume just for me to do it. So it could have been invented. And the man's last word, which is my last word, he was calling his mama. He was calling his mama. He kept calling his mama. He kept saying, mama, mama, mama. And that's when... Basically, he died right there. And when you saw that going on in front of you, what goes through your mind? What Grandma, your there's, mind? A, there's a black man died that could have been a vanity. Because all he had to do was get his feet off his neck. That was that. What did you hear the police saying to him, if anything? What were they? They wasn't they saying anything to him. Responded? They weren't even talking to him. It was other people out here talking to him, talking to the officer to try to get them to let get, get off his neck. Were you saying anything to the officer? Yes, I told the officer, need to get, you know, my friend died. My friend died because of classophobia and all that. I'm classophobic. It was could have been a video. All the officer had to do was just get his feet off of the neck. It could have been a video. Where were you when you saw this? Were you in your car or were you standing out here? I watched the whole thing from start to finish. Were you standing out here on the side? Yes. Okay. Can you tell me where you were standing? I'm going to show you where he died at too. You can see him dying in the video. Swear to goodness. You can see the man dying in the video. This touching right here is ridiculous, dude. I'm serious, man. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to come back around on us internally. Who would you start with? I think I'd rather remain anonymous because I don't, I don't know what this atmosphere is going on. I don't trust that. I thought that was me on the ground screaming for my breath. He's talking about he need to breathe, bro. I walked over there. I'm like, damn, what's going on? This got to be unreal. It got to be unreal. I walk over here. I look at the man, bro. He's on the ground. He's screaming for his life. He's trying to breathe, bro. I'm a provider, bro. I know what chokes is. I know what a blood choke is. I know what ruthlessness is, bro. I didn't work with Minneapolis police so much downtown at Pichaluches. If y'all look at my face, I'm all, I've been at Pichaluches for a long time. 
at the front door. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people respect me, bro. What I seen to, uh, the other day, last night, was nothing a human. He was not a human. He was like a dog to them, bro. My man, his eyes, he didn't care nothing for his breath. Nothing for how he felt. Nothing at all. Y'all need to open your eyes, bro. My man needs justice. I don't even know him. This is not even my community, but I felt like I needed to step up. Like I said, I'm a Northsider, bro. This is a... This is, this is different for me, bro. This is different for me, bro. But I know everybody need to come together. We need to rise, and we need to make this happen, because them cops, I didn't know it was four of them, bro. I didn't know it was four of them. In the video, I only seen two. You know how many videos or pictures I got this morning with four of them choking my man out? They didn't want me off the curb for a reason, bro. They didn't want me off the curb for a reason, bro. But you guys, we all need to come together, bro. I'm not worried about the threats. I'm not worried about what's coming next for it, bro. Y'all shouldn't be worried at all. But as Minnesota, and as a community, and as our black people, and as the people that want to follow with us, stand up, bro, in a peaceful manner. Stand up, bro, you understand that? Black lives matter, and they shouldn't treat us like we're a dog. I've been there, I'm 32 years old, I grew up on the north side. I know how the police are, bro, they're ruthless. Is there good ones out there? No! No disrespect. No, no, no. No, there's some good ones out there, bro. There's some good ones out there, but there's some terrible ones out there, bro. There's some terrible ones. And they need to be weeded the cow, bro. They need to be weeded the cow. Hey. Hey, community. Hey, uh, hey, they finna do them. Where, where y'all go? They're going to the third precinct. They're going. Hey, hey. Hey, they marching. They're going eat. I mean, come on, man. I should not be scared of the police, man. This is ridiculous. When I was a kid, I used to be able to go to the police car and get football car, baseball car. I used to be able to wave, hey, Mr. Officer. Now, now I got to warn my kids. Now I got to warn my, my nephews. Now I got to be uh, still afraid to walk around. This is ridiculous. This could have been me, that man right there, any one of us, man. Any one of us, man. This is ridiculous. But it wouldn't have happened if it was me. You know, this is ridiculous. I could have acted the same way and it wouldn't this, have happened. This is ridiculous, man. And you're saying, no, man, I, I don't want nobody to get it twisted and try to turn this into some racial shit because it's not like that, man. Everybody white is not racist. The man's color of man's skin is not what drives him as an individual. It's the person that sits back and watch. Horrific act like that go down to a human being. I'm a man. You can't do me like that. I'm a man. He's trying to get people to get from around the thing. Well, I mean, when is it going to end, y'all? When is it going to end? It ain't going to end. It's outside. Where's the line? Where is the line? All I want to know is where's the line at? Seriously. I watched it played out. I said that the video clearly shows the man's eyes going down lower and lower. You can see. You can see life leaving his body, yo. And nobody didn't do nothing. What do you want to see change from this? What do you want to see happen with that? They need to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Come on, man. What that, that's not even a question about it. I mean, this is ridiculous. They keep doing it to us, man. We tired of this shit, dude.
Come on, how long y'all think this going? Y'all gonna keep on killing my kids in the street, and we gonna sit over and put up with this? This is ridiculous, man. This is ridiculous, man. They already, they already stole us. gathering testimony from the streets and protests and the memorial for George Floyd. And this is the Radical News Radio Hour. I'm Serene Saadet, and you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, uh, 94.1 FM. So first of all, I'm going to apologize this episode because as with many of you, a lot of us haven't slept and neither than uh, neither have I. So a little tongue-tied, a little blurred vision, we're all pretty tired. So I'm just going to put that out there first and, and ask for your patience. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the role that white people have to talk specifically with themselves and with their children about racism. Because as non-black POC and as white people, we have a responsibility in our own homes to do the work. So uh, Dr. Amy Marshall, who was on the show a few weeks ago, spoke about what we can do to talk about racism. And she put a story up at theuptake.org, but um, I want to share some of her tips. Um, First of all, she highly recommends people taking the implicit association test from Harvard University. It talks about how good people can still be biased, and I think it's really important that we start with ourselves when we're talking about this work. 
The second thing that she talks about is that kids are ready to learn about racism and there are developmentally appropriate ways to talk about racism with your children. And a lot of people are going to tell me, you don't have kids, don't tell me how to raise my kids. And you're right, I don't have kids. But I have 40 younger cousins and while I'm not black, I'm also not white, I'm, I'm POC and it's so important to me that we have this conversation and we take it seriously, both as allies for our black brothers and sisters and as in our POC communities. It is crucial. We have to have this conversation. We need to be able to raise that tension and have a productive discussion around this. Um, she says that having this conversation, or I should say Dr. Marshall says when having this conversation that it's not just about sitting down and never bringing it up again. It's about having a ongoing discussion that weaves in and out of our lives. We, that's the kind of work we need to be doing. And that awareness is key, especially of our own bias. It's key. And we need to teach our children that it's okay to admit bias, that we can fall short, that we can learn, and that we can do better. Being mindful about how we talk with race. The kids don't just learn how we what we teach them. They learn how we teach them. And they mimic those things. She says children are emotional sponges. They're aware of stress. They're aware of the things that are happening in the news. They're aware of parent impulses to hide bad news. And while that's admirable, there is work to do to make sure that our children know how to talk about these things and they know how to operate within these spaces. And as for parent listeners, and I know for me with my younger cousins, I feel a responsibility to stepping up and to speaking up. And for the last week, I've been guiding um, a number of my younger cousins, especially the teenagers, through this discussion because their parents haven't felt equipped to talk with them about it and some of them wish I wasn't talking with their their kids about it but they're my they're my younger cousins and we're very close so I've been guiding them through I've got that they're seeking out their own resources they're asking questions and they're trying to understand kids want to know this stuff we just need to be able to guide them through it and that takes um, starting at home and starting with the parent now I've talked about this before, but as an Arab American woman, I feel complicated and com kind of, it's one of those areas where I had to bring this work home to my to my own family. You know, I'm the daughter of, of immigrants from Jordan. My family makes up a large chunk of the Christian minority in Jordan. Uh, we've lived in a small village in Jordan in the Middle East for generations. I have 60 or so younger cousins between first and first cousins' kids and second cousins, and then cousins I'm related to or not even related to, but their family. It just, you know, I love them dearly, but, you know, as somebody who's always spent my life in the social justice and equity realm, I've failed in a lot of ways to bring this conversation home. And so I want to make a public declaration that I'm going to do better to talk about racism in my own home and to bring forward the tension that's happening in our communities into my own home, recognizing that... Um, if I don't start at home, I'm failing the, my promise as an ally and my promise as an organizer and my promise to do the work. And just to provide some tips for all of you that you might find helpful, um, and this piece will be publishing soon so I can share it on next week's episode. You know, I always follow the lead of oppressed people. I always look to oppressed people and I always follow black women for leadership first and, forma, first and foremost when it comes to organizing and social justice work. And I don't ask black people and other people of color and indigenous communities to spend their time and resources educating me unless I'm willing to pay them or invest resources into their work. I refuse to compare like the non-Arab 
struggle or non-black Arab struggle since there's, you know, most Egyptians identify as black with black American struggles in the United States. That just is not a fair equivalent. And I refuse to take at face value what I hear from politicians and authorities because especially as Arab Americans and Arabs, we should know better than to believe politicians at first glance. So I do my own research and those are rules I can live with but they're not the things I can do to be a good ally. The things I can do to be a good ally are, um, I, I'm not gonna shut up and when I hear things that are racist. And because I can't guarantee that my family is going to step into a space where we can have conversations around tension, I'm gonna keep talking with my cousins about this work. And instead of giving gifts and perpetuating this capitalist cycle, I'm gonna make donations in the names of my family members $25 donations with a number of cousins and aunts and uncles and friends of the family and everything, that's 100 people that I can donate to. That's 2500 a year that I can donate to organizations that are black and indigenous and POC run. That's a big deal. That's something I can do to help. And I'm going to keep bringing it up at home. I'm not going to shut up about it in the same way. So I'm bringing this up because it's a commitment I can make, but they're also easy commi commitments that all of us can make to have serious discussions about racism in our home and the responsibility we have to doing this work. So up next, we're going to talk about the SRO vote that happened at the Minneapolis school board meeting last night. Um, that's a huge vote, and I'm just going to be replaying an episode from um, Kim Ellison, who is the chair of the uh, Minneapolis School Board, and we'll be hearing uh, from her. And it's a little bit of a rough conversation. Again, everybody's tired, everybody's a little beat, but I appreciate you listening. Um, so first of all, just about the vote last night, how are you feeling? Um, I'm, I'm feeling good. It, it, it had to happen. Um, we've had many discussions with the police department um, about our differences and asking them to step up um, and they just haven't been able to do it or haven't done it uh, and we just couldn't um, go forward anymore if we when we looked at our values and what was important to us um, spending money on this contract no longer made sense and honestly even before the incident last week we would have this discussion in August and I'm not sure it would have passed then even without anything happening dramatic in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. in the city, um, it was it was it's that contentious. It's you know that iffy every time we talk about it. Yeah, I remember the conversation in seventeen. I think it was seventeen when the contract yep. was being discussed, and yeah, it, it, it was seventeen. Yeah, yeah, and just how messy and how much. Like anger and emotion and tension there is around that conversation, um, right. but also that I know for at least listening to Principal Freeslaven at, at North that there's also a sense of loss. Yes, um, they have developed an amazing program, um, incorporating their school resource officer into the um, the school. He's not just an officer who shows up and handles something that might happen. He is a part of their school and the students, and it will be—they they will feel it. Although, you know, we will have a plan. I've been talking to people, and going forward, maybe the plan can include Officer Adams in some role. You know, mm -hmm. that would be my hope. Exactly. 
Now, so back in 2018, um, former director Rebecca Gagnon had worked with students to author a proposed resolution related to the SRO program and other school climate issues. And, and there was a number of other issues, you know, a number of kind of alternatives that were kind of introduced in that original resolution. How do you mm -hmm. think as planning goes forward to replace, I mean, A, that's a million plus dollars in the MCS budget, plus there's, um, you know, there is a space that SRO filled. How, how is that space going to get filled moving forward? Right, um, and that's a good question. I recently passed our comprehensive district design um, which was also a contentious vote, but um, but part of that is understanding that we need to change the culture of schools and the climate within school buildings, and so there is already in place um, what we're calling our culture and climate framework. Mm -hmm. And there's a committee, and there are people who are looking at how do we make school buildings more welcoming to students and, and parents, um, and maybe how do we make sure that, they're, that the schools are safe mm -hmm. for students can be part of that discussion um, as well. Since every three years we have this discussion about what else, what does school look like without school resource officers, I know mm -hmm. in the past the district has come up with some plans. Um, maybe we need to pull those plans out and look at them. At the time, they were considerably more expensive than the amount that we spend with the, the police department. But maybe that's something for we're making decisions based on our values. Maybe that's something we need to pay for. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to look at that again. And and I I feel I know I know this seems very sudden, um, but I'm glad we're having this discussion now as opposed to waiting till August and a contract not being approved and school starting two weeks later. I mean I know we don't know what school will look like, but school starting two weeks later yeah. without. Right, right. We now have three months to come up with an alternative plan how to keep students and staff safe in schools in Minneapolis. You know, in many ways, it, in many ways, it, I mean, there is a sudden feeling, but in many ways, it doesn't feel sudden because parents and, and students have been organizing around this for, for a very long time, at least 17, if not for many, you know, um, like, at, not so much longer than that, and I will say I don't know how long SRO has been a contract with MCS, um, but I, I've talked with graduates of North and Patrick Henry who talked about that experience when they were students, so recent graduates. Um, so yes. in, in many ways, in many ways, it fits in with what's happening with U of M, MPS, today Minneapolis Parks and Recreation Board. Um, you know, all of these things are happening. I mean, they're happening because, but also because they've been coming to this point at the same time, like they were always going to end up here. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm it does make sense. That. And, and no, that does make sense. And like I, I remember three years ago, and the number of students came in and said, you know, no, police in schools, and shame on us for not listening. You know, we should have mm -hmm. been coming up with something different for them then. Um, mm -hmm. something to happen where adults then felt uncomfortable with this for us to finally get to a point mm -hmm. where we could say, you know, students, you're right. This isn't going to work for us this year um, mm -hmm. and maybe for a different reason, but the students have been saying for a long time, come up with a different idea. And mm -hmm. so thank you students for 
keeping this um, in the forefront of our thoughts. Like I said, we, we knew we had this contract in August. We were like, okay, when should we bring this up? And Because we knew it mm-hmm. was going to be a tough, another tough conversation. Um, mm-hmm. and, so, and, and that's because the students are making sure that, you know, they're being heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, I want to thank students for making sure that this is still a conversation that we're having, whenever they feel uncomfortable, we should be listening to students. Mm-hmm. Um, how long has MPS had a, how long did they have a contract with uh, Minneapolis? We, I think um, sometime in the 90s, I don't know the exact year, um, as a formal contract, there have been police in schools since the 1960s. Oh, wow. So at least yeah. 20, 20, at least 24 more years and then much longer for the informal yes. stuff. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, what's, I, one of the discussions that's come up around SRO now and in the past and just kind of whenever the topic of police come up, it's a related conversation, is this idea of restorative justice. Yes. What, what role is that going to play in discussions and planning moving forward into next year's school year and whatever that school year takes because everything's sort of topsy-turvy right now? Right, yes. <laughs> yes, we talk about next school year, um, understanding that we don't really know what next school year is going to look like, um, but it needs to be part of the conversation. And when we ha- we talk about it, we say we have restorative justice. I don't think we've done um, enough communicating and training in terms of what that actually means. We can't just say we do restorative justice without understanding, having a clear understanding of what the steps are. Mm-hmm. And so, and so. Maybe coming out of this, we do more training on restorative justice. Maybe mm-hmm. that's what we spent $1.1 million on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it strikes me that $1.1 million is not a significant amount of money. And I'm, I'm basing it off of a conversation that I had with facilities management after mm-hmm. the lockdown at Henry a few years ago, where somebody had gotten off the bus with a gun and they were afraid he might have gone into the school after, after hours. Um, uh-huh. And facilities have said it would cost something like $11 million just to replace all the windows, broken locks, and put some cameras and do a few trainings for teachers um, for all the schools. And at the time, the state was offering something like 500000 or something per, per district. Yeah. Um, $1 million doesn't go very far. So how are there ways to supplement that money through MPS to help create something, a more meaningful amount of money to do, you know, a larger amount of work with? Well, um, I mentioned last night in our, our meeting that one thing, I mean, we know we have 1.1. I mean, I think we could do um, 11 staff members if that's, we want more counseling or more social workers or another form of security, you know, a security person in a mm-hmm. building. Um, but the city, we have, our partners at the city level and at the state level have been advocating for us to get officers out of the schools. And at the meeting last night, I said, I'm going to talk with our partners and say, well, what can you bring to the table to help us make mm-hmm. sure that this happens, that we don't have to go back to um, school resource officers if, if nothing changes within the police department. Mm-hmm. We don't okay. want to just say that's what we're going to do because that's what we can afford. Mm-hmm. And so the city and state, you know, this, that's their role is safety. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping that we can talk 
at that level in terms of how, what more can you do to help support the schools in mm-hmm. making sure that students are safe in schools. Do you think a discussion is going to happen prior to the mid-June special session that's being considered? Um, I would hope so, yes. Because yeah. I, would, I would assume that they'd be bringing up some, if they would, for next year, they, they would, would consider bringing up legislation then. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I heard from a, a couple of state representatives who were like, don't renew the contract. Don't, you know, no more SROs. I'm going to go back to them and say, okay, I'm not doing that. This is what this is the support we need. This is what that looks like. No more SROs. Looks like this. How can you help? Um, and then last question, then I'll let you go. Um, student organizing has been so. I, I in my other life, when I'm not a journalist and teaching community journalism classes, I'm actually a teacher. Um, I teach grad students and undergrad students, and um, I'm really. I feel very strongly that schools need to do a better job of supporting student organizing without institutionalizing student organizing, letting that kind of independence and natural kind of authentic organizing happen, but without schools making students enemy, which unfortunately happens in a lot of institutions. Is there any consideration from MPS about how to, I mean, MPS students are turning out to be right time after time on these issues that are making them uncomfortable. They're really leading in so many ways. What is MPS thinking about when it comes to supporting student organizing and investing in student organizing? Yes, and that's a great question. I have not heard that conversation come up um, at the level that I am at, but student representative Janine, when he talked about the survey that he did with students, they have ideas. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping that we go back to the students and we say, okay, contract's been voted out. Let's let's talk. Maybe students can be part of that committee that is looking at what does safety look like for students in schools. They're right. They know what they need. Mm-hmm. And we do need to make space for them to be heard. That was Chair Kim Ellison from the Minneapolis Public School Board of Directors talking about the board's decision to cancel um, and and end its contract with the Minneapolis Police Department. That contract, as she said, has been around formally since the 1990s, but informally since the 1960s. So uh, MPS's divestment from the police department is a big deal, as is the um, discussion happening with Minneapolis Parks and Rec tonight. Um, to end its contract with MPD and also its contract um, with the University of Minnesota, which has already begun that process of divestment. Um, the, the discussion right now around police defunding, police abolition has really hit a peak. This work that I think as an organizer we wouldn't have reached in 20 years has been reached in a week. It's an incredible amount of work and kudos to all the organizers on the ground. Um, who are doing this work um, because the work they're doing is incredibly powerful. I want to thank you all for listening today. I know that it has been an exhausting, stressful, scary week and that so many of us are just tired. Um, And I know I'm feeling it too. I also have a lot of hope because I'm seeing people step up and I'm seeing work happen in ways that just haven't happened in such a long time. Um, I'm not sure what next week's episode is going to bring. This week was supposed to be very different, but 
um, the world seems to be changing faster than um, we can catch up to it. For now, you're listening to the Radical News Radio Hour. We're going to end with another song from Manny Mestas, a former student of mine. And you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM. <laughs> 